0: Welcome to the History of Modern Politics. My name is Chris Spangle. It is great to be with you today. And this conversation is with Bruce Carlson from My History Can Beat Up Your Politics about the fall of Saigon and the parallels between that and the fall of Kabul. And Matt Whitliffe and I were talking in anticipation of our release of the podcast in January. In the meantime, we figured we might talk to some historians about things that are happening in the news. And see how that goes. We're also going to cross-post those on the Chris Bangle Show feed. So you'll hear my co-hosts, Reinhold and Harry, in this. This is one half of the conversation. This is the second half of the conversation where we talked about the history. But uh, we had an entire other half of the conversation that you can hear over there with Bruce about how he puts his podcast together. So if that interests you, go check it out. Also recommend Bruce's podcast, My History Can Beat Up Your Politics. It's a great show. So... We're going to have more interviews in this feed with historians about the headlines. And if you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear those at editor at wearelibertarians.com. Now, let's have our conversation with Bruce Carlson of My History Can Beat Up Your Politics. I don't think a lot of people actually know what Saigon is. So let's jump back into history and talk about the end of Vietnam and let's see what lessons we might be able to learn from that. So, Bruce, like, help us set the scene for the Saigon moment. I was surprised when I was researching this Mm. that we had been out of active military fighting for like two years at that point when Saigon fell.
2: That's right. Uh, Defensive operations stopped in January of 1973. The reality is Nixon's entire first term, he's pulling troops out. Mm. He pulls a lot of troops out. It's almost 100,000 out by the first year of his presidency. And Nixon would be seen forever as the great peacemaker if he didn't also simultaneously uh, have this uh, strategy of
0: bombing as in well, Cambodia and expanding supplies. to other countries. Yeah, that was the mystifying part about the Nixon story because he's the guy that got us out, but he also yeah. expanded the war. Welcome to
2: history, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it, it's, the, it's that guy that you, you, and, and I don't know, I don't know that he's the, the man of the moment or anything like that. I actually believe. That Lyndon Johnson was on the verge of a peace deal right towards the end of the election. That North Vietnam was ready because the previous bombing that Johnson had conducted in North Vietnam at that point um, had actually started to have some some impact and got them to the peace table. And it was South Vietnam. And and again to your question, like where is Saigon? I mean, North Vietnam, South Vietnam. Saigon's the capital of of South Vietnam, Hanoi, the capital, and North Vietnam. At that time, South Vietnam is a country that's created after the French leave, and it's the um, it's you know ostensibly democracy. The Americans have a lot of influence over it. But the real story that I don't think even a lot of people knew at the time is that while the Americans had a lot of influence in South Vietnam, and the Kennedy actually allowed an operation that changed the government there violently, um, You know, they didn't have total say because on several occasions, South Vietnam, you know, stopped peace treaties from happening because they realized, I believe, that they well in the in the go round in 68, that was during the election. And we now know that there was some interference by the Nixon campaign that members of the Nixon campaign got to members of the South Vietnam Senate and said, you know, if you do this peace deal, they're going to destroy your country. By the time you get to 72, that's not the the case anymore. It's just South Vietnam realizing that Nixon's, you know, for lack of a better word, going to sell them out at mm. the peace table and they don't want to sign. And they're really forced to sign and given some secret promise by Nixon that he'll continue to support them via the air, something that he doesn't have on paper and doesn't have congressional approval for directly
0: yeah that's interesting because that happened in north in afghanistan as well like you, you know peace summits have been taking place since you know for, for almost well over a decade uh and the people who run the afghan government now don't want to to give this up because then all the money that they're collecting and their swiss bank accounts get shut off you know so when the doha agreements take place last year when trump is trying to negotiate with the taliban they're like the afghan government's like we're not gonna abide by this we're not gonna do this we can't they they can't you know like you're a puppet government yes they can't you know so it's it's interesting Mm -hmm. that parallel so you know the the north vietnamese are aligned with the communists the south vietnamese aligned with south uh, vietnam And there are a lot of parallels in that corruption in the South Vietnamese government. Are there not like it was a fairly corrupt Mm. government that we had propped up that really hurt our credibility with the people of South Vietnam?
2: Yeah, I mean, the United States instituted the the president and uh, the assassination of the previous president because uh, we weren't we weren't, you know, didn't look like we could deal with the. previous government. I don't think it was a shining democracy, no, by any means. It was pretty obvious what was going on there and obvious to people. And there's a lot more popular support for the communist government north, whether they really knew what it was going to be like later or not. You know, you could argue that. But there was more popular support. They were gaining more recruits. It was easier for them to build an, an army of people, whereas for South Vietnam, they needed American support to even keep it a country. And what you really see in the process of the peace negotiation through Nixon's first term, it's almost like negotiating with yourself or negotiating with your politics. You know, Nixon wants out to achieve a campaign promise, to eliminate a a campaign problem that He's running up against McGovern, who's got, uh, you have the 26th Amendment passed. Nixon thinks it's going to be a good thing for him. He's always supported it. But now he's got an opponent that's got young people riled up, McGovern. And the Vietnam War is, is Nixon's worst issue. He needs to do something. He also made a campaign promise to end the war with honor. Those two last words, with honor, as opposed to any other way of ending the war, in my opinion, led to about four more years uh, hmm. of additional casualties and uh, probably 20,000 on his side of the Vietnam War. And then basically a war that now lasted through two presidents, um, really four presidents, but two, two presidents during the height of it and two parties. And uh, that whole period, he's trying to get deals He tries the madman theory where it's like, I might be crazy. (laughs) He tries bombing the supply lines in Laos and Cambodia because he's seeing that that's how they're getting um, uh, supplies and he wants to deal with it. There's also a memo that we now know of called the Zilch Memo, which um, Butterfield, who is the man who revealed the tapes during Watergate, the assistant deputy um, chief of staff under um, uh, Haldeman revealed that there's this memo where Nixon basically said, you know, the bombing doesn't do anything militarily. But every time I do it, I go up in the polls, particularly in the Republican Party, and particularly (laughs) with people like Wallace voters that he's concerned about in that side. So we have that memo. We also incidentally have phone calls from Lyndon Johnson, of very similar nature, like I'm not winning. We're not winning here. I can go out and whatever you're hearing me go out and say, we're not winning and this is impossible. So we have both presidents kind of on the record um, one way or the other.
0: Even uh, Kennedy in the beginning. I mean, there's um, in the Vietnam Ken Burns documentary, he's like, this is going to be a total waste of time. (laughs) I mean, from the very uh, beginning, he says it.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, Kennedy, I believe, uh, even as a senator, uh, cast doubt on even the French – situation and whether we should help them and uh, have al- has was always a bit skeptical about the um, situation in, in Vietnam and and whether a large American troop presence would be I effective.
0: think at one point he went to Vietnam and he said something so- along those lines and it was kind of a little controversial when he was s- openly mm. Before skeptical
2: he was president yeah yeah,
0: yeah so I so that- let, let's jump forward. I mean, if you're looking at Afghanistan, you know, we stopped operations in 2014 under Obama, but you, you, you still have mm-hmm. troops there. And, and the troops, troop deaths, which to me are the only metric that matters, the the, the one you, the number you want is zero, um, which mm-hmm. is why we're withdrawing now. But it's been, you know, 5, 15, 20 per year since then. But you, you have like these, the handful of advisors who are kind of uh, – propping up this army, propping up this government, and withdrawing them just – now, most people don't understand that the Taliban operated 60% of the country. Uh, When we look back at Vietnam and we're talking about that, that, I don't know what you call it, interregnum between the the stopping of operations and the fall of Saigon, which is just the complete withdrawal, is there – is it clear – is it as clear in Vietnam that when we leave – that it's just going to co- be a complete toppling. And so absolutely people would
2: clear, absolutely okay. clear, in my opinion, but also there's evidence in the tapes between Nixon and Kissinger now that have come out later where um, Kissinger basically admits that all they were looking for in this peace process at that point is not a win where there's going to be a South Vietnam forever. It's a decent interval where it's going to essentially look good that it's not going to collapse the next day um, So you have a very similar situation because the resulting agreement that ends the Vietnam War, ends America, America's part in the Vietnam War. You know, really, the obligations are all on us. There is a stipulation that there'll be no foreign equipment sent in except for replacements. So that applies to us and the Soviet Union and China that were supplying North Vietnam. Um, uh, when we were getting pounded, we were get pounded by Soviet artillery and mm. Soviet planes and things like that. Uh, but the the one who has to withdraw is the United States. So North Vietnamese troops that are in South Vietnam do not have to leave as a result of this agreement. And this is what Nixon and Kissinger sign off on. he He wants a deal. this is it, there's no other way to look at. it. He wants a deal before that election. he He wanted it um, I think even earlier. But they were uh, he was he was, you know, I think some of the bombing was was uh, he thought might be effective. And they were also delaying a bit again at the peace table. And so Kissinger couldn't get get to a peace deal immediately. But right before the election, you know, they were eager to sign and they convinced South Vietnam to go along by just saying that, you know, a kind of secret commitment between Nixon and the president of South Vietnam that I will send in air power where needed The agreement does allow the United States to replace. So if South Vietnam loses a tank, the United States can replace that tank. But that's really cool comfort to uh, to somebody that has enemy troops in their in their nation.
0: Yeah. One thing that I was surprised by in your episode and, and Reinhold referenced, it was the amount of plans that were in place. And this is where this is where like Biden gets no pass. You know, there there seems to be no plans, and and a lot of that goes on the military too. I mean, they, you know, the military and Trump were never in step. Biden and the military, in some respects, have not been in step on this. They don't want to leave, and so they've just sort of, in my opinion, disobeyed the the commander in chief and not prepared. But you know, uh, so looking at the fall of Saigon on Wikipedia, you know, on April third, uh, mm. Ford announced Operation Baby Lift and evacuated two thousand orphans. Um, Mm -hmm. and then over 25 orphans were evacuated. Operation New Life resulted in the evacuation of over 110,000 Vietnamese refugees. The final evacuation was Operation Frequent Wind, which resulted in 7,000 people being evacuated. Frequent Wind is the photos of people climbing up the Mm -hmm. famous stairs that's in the Ford Museum now, as they're trying to cling onto helicopters. You know, and some of these Mm -hmm. these photos uh, are really striking um but operation wind is what we we all know and there were multiple plans that were in place um and while you're talking i'm going to pop up you know one of those photos just sure. so people can kind of see the parallels so please don't be distracted by that um, no, no, no. but but i think the parallels between these two uh, you know the, the parallels are image they're not planning
2: that's it. It's very much true. In other words, that look, there's a certain situation where there's going to be a limit to who you can take out. We can't bring the entire nation of South Vietnam and ma- make them United States citizens. They, they It was as it was, it was the largest opera almost in the end when you count the, what the, the operations you mentioned and then plus the self-evacuees who got on uh, ships in the saigon river and got to manila you're you're talking about almost 140,000 people who a lot of them became united states citizens and there is a specific congressional act uh, dedicated to helping them but yeah i mean you see these terrible images and there's people trying to be that additional one getting on the helicopter and you you what you can't um understand is that um uh, that they um wait what you can't understand is that it it could be um
0: he's having a little mic trouble here, it sounds like. Um Oh darn. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh I'll be right back. <laughs> I'm narrating his his uh your wife just popped in. Or I assume your wife, excuse me for Assuming your status, but sorry about that uh, podcast. today. I know you were right. Uh, we could say
2: broadcast assistant, but why use euphemisms? You know, you know how it is with the, um, uh, you know, everyone's at home these days. Still a little bit of that going on, even though we're outside a little. Oh, my so anyway, associate um,
0: producer pops in all the time. I totally get it.
2: But uh, the main thing you mentioned is you mentioned it was an image, and I think that's so important. Is that so? When I did the podcast episode on this, what I actually did is um, a podcast episode on the archetype that's been created, which is when the U.S. leaves a place, and and how eager people are to say like, "Hey, this is Biden's Saigon." That you created this image, okay? But have you done the history? Have you investigated the image? And when you look at that operation. It's it's not only wrong, it's kind of an insult to the Marines on the ground to say that it was a failure that day, uh, April 29th, going into April 30th. Not a failure. Biggest helicopter uh, evacuation ever got seven thousand people. See, it was supposed to be more. It was supposed to be a plane evacuation. And what happened was there is a uh, pilot that defected and bombed the runway. They could not use the airport. The ambassador, Graham Martin, goes to see it with his own eyes. You can't believe it. It's Murphy's law. (laughs) And they have to now get everybody from the airport where the defense attache office is and get them to the embassy, that embassy where you see a lot of those last images, never supposed to be the spot that the evacuation was going to occur from. That was the backup plan. And um, still, still, they were able to get almost 7000, more than 7000 people between, say, noon of April 29th, and President Ford did a hard stop at three in the morning, April 30th, and then the last Marines got out at 7:45 in the morning, April 30th. Very successful. Unfortunately, there were still hundreds of people who we had promised to get out, even under the revised helicopter plan, who were on the embassy grounds, and then a lot more who came over the gates who didn't have that authorization. Um, you know who could, We couldn't get out. So sure, it's a failure. And uh, in that way, but overall, it's one of a successful operation. It's just that it became a symbol. You know, when you see those images, it's a symbol of what is a larger failure, the involvement in Vietnam, the attempt to prop up South Vietnam over that period of time.
0: Yeah, there was uh, uh, there. then, yeah. And Kissinger wanted to go. Uh, people wanted to go back in the administration think Ford wanted to go back. And then Kissinger didn't want them to go back in to get more people because it would be personally embarrassing to him. Uh, <laughs> oh, Kissinger. Um, but uh, I think the, it would we, have been difficult. Any
2: use of force additionally in Vietnam. You're talking about the last thing. And this hasn't changed. Right. The last thing anyone wants to do now, they can they can talk about Biden. You can talk about how bad the evacuation was. You can talk about. Uh, overall and and we left them we left the taliban in charge i mean we technically I originally weren't really trying to fight the
0: he he popped off there yeah uh it is fascinating how um and i i think it was a major reinhold or harry like a major blow to the psyche of Americans especially since you're talking about in Vietnam a generation the greatest fighting force in American history that won World War II you know mm-hmm. and then you have this this blow where you've lost the war and you have these horrible pictures and I apologize my screen share is not working but yeah I mean talk about that Well, well yeah the, and, and, go ahead, go
1: ahead. I was going to say like, and, and then you've had all these like these news hosts that are making the side reference, uh, but they're young, just like I, myself is is like okay, we didn't experience that on TV. We all had to go back and research and find out what the heck is going on. And then when you said like like so, and that war also the war effort, you also started wondering like like how much is like all of this is of just like generals or different like mil- officers at the time wanting to do get things different done just before just. Uh, to make rank, because they know, like, okay, this is my could be my last time to make rank. You know, this is could be my last appointment is my last thing. I need to do this to get rank. You know, and so they just something just got like like pulled up and pulled on, like dragged on for longer times. Yeah. But like, yeah, but the whole like, yeah, getting ready for the show, like, yeah, it it it. it I think it was like what I figure when you posted when we were talking about we we're doing like secretary more the exact day, but I kept hearing it on the radio, and you go like, okay, I'm way too young. Let me look this up. I'm like, oh man, this is. No, they're wrong. (laughs)
0: This is not even close. (laughs) It's not even, it's not close. I mean, Bruce, you, they had booklets. Right. But the imagery in your head is just,
1: is that elevated. It's exactly the same. It's the, is same. the, is the stair seat. That's all you have is that imagery when you're young. Yeah. Like, I'm going
0: to, oh, I'm oh. going to pop out to restart my uh, browser so I can show you guys this. Thing. I, I got a new, I reset my computer so it's all messed up. But yeah, I mean, the imagery is the only close thing. But Bruce, talk about the, the booklets that they had and the Bing Crosby and like that, that shows you they had a printer, print things and pass it out. And there were code words. That's how prepared they were for this stuff.
2: Right they they had um uh, they had a safe booklet which was went to the people that they were designated that they could go and these were usually people with some involvement in the South Vietnamese government although i presume there were some people that were simply connected to american business and things like that went on a little bit of speculation but let's just say the upper middle class in a lot of cases and people who worked for the US government or helped the US government who you know, both we owed something to, and also would be targeted. They got a booklet. It said there were thirteen locations throughout Saigon. So when you see that image of the helicopter, that you most commonly see, that's not the embassy. If it's the bigger helicopter, it is. If it's the little Huey, that's not the last flight out of a Saigon. It just shows you that now we love these videos, then they love these, uh, then they love the, these uh, still images, and you and you still see the effect of an image like that. And it's um, you know. I don't know all the planning that went on during this one. It is true that even with the planning in Saigon, a lot of people found out that, hey, we're going to play Bing Crosby. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And that means get the heck out of Saigon and get on those copters and get out to the people that need to know that. And there were some like um, Japanese uh, officials and South Korean officials that were in South Vietnam that uh, didn't get out timely because they didn't know that music and didn't get the signal and things. All, all those kind of things went on. But what I'm saying, we still got a heck of a lot of people out in Saigon. And, it's, and the Marines on the ground have never considered that a failure. President Ford didn't consider it a failure. Uh, he did authorize that um, a hard stop at 345 and no more, even if there were people waiting, that we had to get a Marines out.
0: And he did what, was that after. because they, were, they had to stop because the troops from the offensive Correct. from the North Vietnamese were just getting so what close you, they didn't want to get involved on a firefight?
2: Yeah, you know, and what the way that it's interesting, which is also a little similar, to, it, very similar to Kabul, the way that the Marines uh, described it, some of them, is that they let us out. Like, like what they were doing was they are going to give you enough ground fire. We're going to make it clear we're doing this. And the actions at the airport, for instance – are a sign like we're coming in you can't stay here any longer united states you need to get out but they did not want an open firefight between um north vietnam and the united states in the streets of saigon at that particular moment when offensive um actions had stopped in 73 but it was a kind of like how gentle can a guerrilla army be right you not. it's not gentle they're going to start firing on the ground and letting you know we're moving in tanks started arriving Um, We're not going to let you stay any longer. We're putting the pressure on. And that was coming. Um, They could have done more at the airport, for instance. They did end up killing two Marines that day. Uh, A lot of the Marines on the ground said they could have done a lot more if they had wanted to. But what they were just doing was enough to say, get the heck out. We're coming in. And uh, everything's going to, you know, similar thing too. everything's going to be great, too. We're going to be reunited as a country. Why do you want to separate us?
0: So what, what ended up happening to I mean, were the, was there a humanitarian crisis for their slaughters? Like what what happened when they took over the country?
2: Uh, there was a lot of that. I, I don't have as good detail on it, but it was it was um, I know that many of the people that were south vietnam if they could identify them as a particular government agent you know there there were many that were killed or put into prison camps i mean those people that were escaping had a right to be one of the things that south vietnam soldiers were doing was disrobing just just they were running around the streets naked because they just took their uniforms off because if they were caught with a uniform i think they know what would have happened but north vietnam um did become a country. I think it was a country that had a lot of economic problems until the point that they could establish trade with the United States again in the nineties. So it wasn't a successful country or great country to, to be. And I mean, I don't say that out of like, I know there's patriotic pride and things like that, or love for a country or great culture and food and things, but economically it wasn't, a gr- even if, even if you didn't have a political problem or weren't in a jail you know you had problems living there-
0: um, yeah and, but one uh, of one of the I, interesting things you know like uh, people go back to famously John McCain goes back to his p o w camp or you know people go back to my grandpa was in okinawa he never wanted to visit again, uh but people wanted to go. I just mm-hmm. can't imagine that people are gonna want to go back to outpost Keating to to like Mm -hmm. Resolve something, you know. There's just something about this war that is so fruitless, and and uh, that that people aren't. I mean,
2: soldiers, soldiers. I think uh, Bagram, for instance, Mm -hmm. when I heard that was captured, I know that's uh, a very emotional point for a lot of them because that's where they served and that's where Mm -hmm. the base was. Incidentally, it was also for the Soviets, so you get that whole. That was their air base, and then it became ours. And I did a whole podcast in the Soviet war in Afghanistan, which is a whole. Another story that could have had the same exact lesson about um, how long you stay uh, in a war, like you had referenced earlier. You know, the main thing is to get those casualties to zero. That's what America wants: peace, prosperity. They're connected. I believe they're connected. You did talk about, I think, when I was uh, when I got zapped off by the vicissitudes of the internet. Uh, uh, you know, um, you were talking a bit about like. Yeah, there's like soldiers and generals, maybe that kind of in the system and they want to just kind of get the rank. Like a war creates all of these perpetual forces and that has to be watched. And so the the part that I really have a good feeling about of Biden's decision is that he made it and that he's double down on it. He's as he's as double down on his decision as Trump was on anything he ever did during his presidency. You know, he's doing that. But yeah, I think you're going to look at with a fine-tooth comb now all of the planning and what happened and didn't happen and could it have done been done better and all of those things and those are going to be issues in the midterms in 2022 but the decision to go the question you have to ask is do we want another 20 years? You know, in <laughs> Vietnam those same pressures were applied. The the sentimentality of soldiers having st- fought for a cause and you know um their lives the lives of their friends and their own work and risk in vain is a strong and compelling argument in politics you will see candidates running um probably in the gop in this case on that particular issue the the compilation of we we have allies that stood up for the United States and we are not standing by them anymore. These are strong and powerful voices, forces. They always have been. They were in South Vietnam. Ford thinks it was a great disgrace, President Ford, that he was not able to help South Vietnam more. Um these are these are powerful forces, but the Congress at that time, and I guess, you know, Trump and Biden now made the call to make the decision they did. Trump might move away from it or not embrace it as much anymore, know that he's not president. But the reality is he took those steps and made that call. Otherwise, you could have done it in another 20 years. Easy. Yeah, easy. Those forces are enough. We say, Well, we got to stay in because we have to we have friends here. We have to support.
0: Well, with that, we're going to leave it there. It was a great conversation. It was great having you on the program today. Please make sure that you go check out My History Can Beat Up Your Politics. Uh, what 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 are you working on now? What are you uh, going to have in the next few episodes?
2: The 1890s. Uh, it's going to be the mauve decade, uh, probably a two or three-parter on the 1890s. And what a decade of conflict, strife,
0: and also some great literature. All right. Well. My history can beat up your politics. Check it out in any podcast app. Harry Reinhold, thanks for being here. Bruce Carlson, thanks for being here. And listener, thank you for being here. We will see you again on Monday.